So pain, uh, it, it alerts us to a problem underneath the surface. If you've ever been in any real physical pain and have known what it's like to rush off to the ER to be seen by the nurses there and the team, and then, and then they take you to the hospital, and usually it's not as much of a rush going there from what I understand, but they'll take you to the hospital, and then the doctor will have a look at you, and that pain helps to alert the doctor to a problem underneath the surface. And then he prescribes some sort of a treatment or possibly a surgery, and then uh, a problem is taken care of, and through medical help and healing, uh, the situation is taken care of. And it may have uh, alerted you to the problem before something worse would happen. So pain can be a good indicator and a good help to us. In the same way, spiritually speaking, the pains that we go through in our lives, our difficulties, our trials, will alert us to a deeper problem, something that the Lord wants to work through in our lives. And the touch of the Lord Jesus, the great physician, the healing touch can alleviate that pain and bring healing. It really can bring healing and, and, and keep it from turning into something that would be a greater problem later on down the road. We see something like that happening in the life of Simon. You know, later his name would be changed to Peter. Simon means shifting sand or sifting sand. And, uh, Simon was unstable. He was, he was cocksure of himself. I mean, he was the cock of the walk. He was, full, he was, he was certain that if, if all other men deserted the Lord, that Peter would be faithful. But at this time, he was called Simon. Later on, the Lord would change his name to Peter, the rock. And later on, he would become stable. But the Lord said to Simon, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you. What was the problem underneath the surface for Peter? Well, you'll find that up in verse 24. There was also a strife among them, the disciples. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? Can you imagine that? These men following Jesus around everywhere that he went for three and a half years, seeing the lovely Lord Jesus minister to people and heal and help and, and uh, the miracles that he performed and, and just his kindness, his, his gentleness, his goodness and watching all of that. And these guys are walking around saying, I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom. I'm going to be the greatest. Isn't that just like man? They were full of pride. They had ambitions. And uh, there was a strife there, it says. In verse 25, he said unto them, he said, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, Jesus said, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, as he that doth serve. Jesus said, the, the way to be the greatest in my kingdom is to be the greatest servant, to humble yourselves. And serve other people. Not to be the, the big guy on top and ruling over everybody else. Whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth. And Jesus goes on to teach him. You see, they had a problem. They had ambition. And they were filled with pride. And this was something that Satan would leverage against Peter and use this against him. And so Jesus says to Peter in verse 31, Satan hath desired to have you. He sees that you're going to be the guy that he needs to knock down. You're the one, you're the one that's in the need of prayer. He wants to sift you as wheat. You know what that is? Sifting someone as wheat. 
Well, if you've ever seen a threshing floor, uh, especially back in these old days, they would, they would clear off a piece of ground, a circular piece of ground, and they would smooth it over and, and pat it down and, and make it uh, solid and then put uh, powder on top of it. And, and, and they would bring wheat onto that threshing floor and they would run like a pallet with rough uh, objects underneath it um, and, and they would rough, run that rough pallet over top of the wheat round and round with, with a farm animal or maybe just pulling it by themselves. And what that would do is that would crush up the wheat and crush up the kernels and would, would break it down so that they could get the part that they want out of it. And then you had the wheat, which was good for use, and then you had the chaff. And so then they would take their pitchforks and throw that wheat up into the air, and then as the breeze blew by, it would blow away the chaff, and the heavy wheat would fall to the ground, and they would collect that wheat. And what he's saying is Satan's desire to sift you, Peter, he's going to sift you with this painful, crushing process, but the Lord is going to use it to get the best out of him. And so we see here that Simon is going to be sifted. But Jesus says, But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. We'll come back to that. He said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee into prison, even unto death. And then the Lord predicts what Peter will do. So our first point here today, looking at this This theme of facing difficulty, our first point is the Lord's prediction. In verse 34, He said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Those words must have cut through Peter like a knife. The Lord predicted that this man who was just cocksure of himself... And he of all men would love the Lord and be faithful even unto death. Jesus predicted he would be the one actually that would deny him three times. He wouldn't stick the closest to the Lord. You know, in our lives, we will face trials. We will face difficulties. And we're not any better than Peter. And these, these trials, these difficulties that we go through, these things will break us. It's the way that life goes in this sinful world. And, and, and we, we look forward to the sweet by and by, but for right now we have the nasty now and now. And in this life, these trials that come in, the things that, that happen to us that we just don't understand. And they break us down. Eventually, they break us down. And the Lord said that it would be so for us. He said, in this world, what? In this world you shall have, you remember? Tribulation. You say, what's that mean? It means troubles. In this world you're going to have troubles. You say, why? Because this world is a fallen, sinful place. And you're not exempt from them. You say, but I'm saved. I'm a child of God. But you go through the same troubles that everyone else in the world goes through. But there's one difference. Do you remember what that difference is? There's one great difference. The difference is, is that you go through it with the Lord. And he helps you through it. 
But he predicted to Peter, no, Peter, the, the opposite is true. You're lifted up in pride, and what's going to happen to you is you're going to deny me three times. <clears throat> so things come into our lives, and, and they break us. But God uses those things. Once, once we're broken, he uses those to rebuild. The old saying about preachers is that God will take a man, he will break a man, and then he will make a man. That's how God makes ministers of the gospel. And that's true of any man. If you read the history of gospel preachers, that's true of any man who has ever used greatly of the Lord. And I would say for that matter, any woman who has used an extraordinary gospel service was first broken and then made again. It's just a fact of life. It's a reality of life. I was down there at Camp Victory and talking with a man there and and it's interesting when you get a group of men together in a, in, and we're out of our normal routine, we're out of our normal habits and our normal places where we go and so on. You put us into a different situation with people we've never met before. It's interesting to get to know one another and fellowship. And, and I was sitting and talking with one man and uh, he told me his name and I know his name, but I don't know who will listen to this sermon, so I'm not going to mention him <clears throat> by name, but we were sitting there across from the table and I really had a good time as he told his testimony, just getting to know this brother and to hear his testimony of faith and how God healed him. He had grown up with a dad who was a World War II veteran. And uh, his dad, he said he would learn later on, was suffering from like what they would call back then shell shock or PTSD is what we call it today. And he said his dad was just a mean, violent man. He was always angry, and he would always try to help his dad do things. And he said one of the earliest remem- memories he has of his dad's PTSD was when he was four. And he was trying to help his dad <clears throat> screw something in, and they were putting something together. And his dad got mad at him and just, just hauled off and just clocked him because he wasn't doing it right. He was threading the screw wrong. And in his whole childhood was like that. His dad was just physically abusive to him. He said one of the things he remembers is when they were trying to work on something, they were doing some mechanical work, and, and he wasn't doing it right. And so his dad took a wrench and threw that wrench and hit him right in the face with the wrench. And his dad would just use him like a punching bag and just beat the snot out of him on a regular basis. But when he was 13 years old, praise God, he was saved. He was going to a little Baptist church. He heard the gospel and he trusted Christ as his savior. But he's a child of God and, 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 and he's saved. But now he has these issues, right? This baggage. He himself has PTSD and he's struggling. And he said he was just an angry boy. He would just fight at the drop of a hat. And he said, I was tough and nobody was going to win. I was going to beat the other boy up. And there were times in his life where he said he got in fights and he fought other kids. And there was one time particularly he was telling me about that he was going to kill the kid that he was fighting. And had, had the neighbor lady not run to get his mom and had she not gone out there to stop him, he would have killed that, that boy. He would have killed him. And, he was, and that boy got up and said, you're crazy. And he said, you come back here, I'll show you how crazy I am. He was just filled with hatred and anger and violence, why? Because it was learned, you know? It's a cycle of violence that, that they talk about. You say, can Jesus do anything about that? Yes. Later on, as he got married, he, he struggled because he wanted to serve the Lord, but he had this, this, this problem of anger and, uh, <clears throat> and depression that results from it. 
and, and, he, and he wanted to serve the Lord, so he would go to counseling. One night, his wife told him, I, I can't take any more of this. You need to go get help. And he said, I'm willing, and with tears, he said, I'm willing to get help. I'm willing to go to counseling. So he went to counseling, and uh, it ended up being Christian counseling. The lady said, can I pray with you, and so on. And what ended up happening is that he said that the counseling helped, but no one could really heal him but the Lord. And he said he went through a process in seeking the Lord that there was a day when the Lord just healed him. And he said healing is more than physical. It's emotional and spiritual as well. And he said, the Lord just healed me. He said, I can't explain it exactly, but one day the Lord just met me and touched my life, and he took away all of the anger, all of the depression, all of that that was keeping me from, from being uh, successful in my life and moving on and having a good, happy marriage. He said, the Lord just took it away, and I no longer struggle with it. And he said, I forgive my dad, and all of that. And he went on to become a nurse, and uh, was very good with people, and even taught in a technical college, teaching nurse students, you know, in the last couple of years of high school. And he said, the Lord healed me. No one else could do it. You know, that's true. But the Lord predicts that we're going to go through troubles and trials. I want you to notice my second point. <clears throat> we know what happens with Peter, right? The Lord goes off to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. In verse 48, we see the Judas kiss of betrayal. Jesus said unto him, Judas Betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? As the Lord is praying in the garden with his disciples, then uh, he gets up and he tells them that the time has come, and then comes the armies, uh, the soldiers against him with Judas leading the way, and Judas kisses Jesus to identify him as being the one that they should arrest. And when that happens, all of Jesus' disciples flee the scene. Verse 49, When they which were about him saw that what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? So there's his disciples, one of them being Peter. He smote the servant of the high priest, which we learn is Malchus, with his sword. He pulls out his sword and he strikes that servant. The servant must have ducked and that, that sword hit his ear and cut his ear off. But you see, Peter's ready to fight. You say, why is he ready to fight? Because Peter wanted the crown. Peter wanted to see Jesus enthroned as the king of Israel. Peter wanted the kingdom now. Peter wanted the glory of ruling with Jesus Christ. And Peter said, it's time. It's time for the revolt. And he pulled out his sword. He took off that servant's ear and he said, "Just next time I'm going to take off the head. And Peter said, put your sword down. And he picked up that servant's ear. Jesus said, put your sword down. He picked up that servant's ear and he put it back onto that servant's head. And with his healing touch... He was whole and restored. That's the Lord's touch. The Lord's touch. And when Peter saw that, now the Bible doesn't say this, but it implies it. When Peter saw that, Jesus did something that Peter did not understand. You see, Peter thought that Jesus was there to set up a kingdom to lead the Jews in a revolt like the Maccabeans of years before, their heroes. <clears throat> Peter thought Jesus deserved a crown and Peter would have a crown too and rule with him. And Jesus would sit on a throne and Peter would sit on a throne. And, and Jesus wasn't going for a crown of gold. He was going for a crown of thorns. And it wasn't a throne that Jesus 
would sit upon. It was a cross that Jesus would be nailed to. And it wasn't a physical kingdom. It was a spiritual kingdom that would be ruled in the hearts of men until a future time when Jesus will set up his physical kingdom. But Peter, he didn't understand. Peter got mad at the Lord. He got mad. The Lord ever do something in your life that you don't understand? It didn't work out the way that you thought it was going to work out. It didn't go the way that it should have gone. The Lord ever do anything in your life or allow something to happen or to come into your life that made you mad at the Lord? They call it getting crossways with God. God is doing this and you want him to go a different direction and you've come to an intersection an impasse and you're out of sorts with the Lord maybe you say I'd never get mad at God yeah but you're so disappointed that you quit following the Lord you ever been there with this Lord's touch Peter realized that he's not going to let me fight and so Peter with the other disciples They all fled away, and Jesus surrendered to the mob. He surrendered. In verse 52, Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, Be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. And they took him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And look what happened. Peter followed afar off. They all fled, but two men followed. They fled at first, and then John the Apostle and Peter. But Peter followed afar off. You see, Peter was starting to distance himself from the Lord. And then we know what happens next. Jesus is taken into the judgment hall and the apostle John evidently knew some people and was kind of in on the inside with some of those religious leaders and John went into the judgment hall and went in through the gate but Peter didn't. Peter stopped there and at the gate he's confronted and he's and Satan begins to sift him after this. And so what happens to Peter? Well, we know it's his denials, just like the Lord predicted. In verse, uh, let's just look in verse 55. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And Peter denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. That was his first denial. Imagine it. Peter following afar off. Then he's outside of where Jesus is. He didn't go as far as John went. He's sitting out there in the, uh, sitting out there in the, uh, in the uh, open area, warming his hands by the fire with the enemies of Jesus Christ. And he denies Jesus in that court. He denies Jesus before a, a, a maid, a servant of the high priest, a servant girl. You see, Peter is upset with the Lord. Verse 58, And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. 
Can you hear the anger coming out? That's the second denial. Then in verse 60, Peter said again, there was another saying, you're a Galilean, I can hear it in your speech. And Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest. And, and if you read the other accounts, you find out that he said it with cursing. He started cursing just like he did as a sailor before he met Jesus. And he denied Jesus with an oath. He swore an oath that he did not know the man. And immediately while he yet spake these things, the cock crew. And that was his third denial And you know what happened? We find out in this account in Luke. Do you know what happened the moment that he denied the Lord that third time? Now that's my next point. It's the Lord's look. Just as he denied the Lord and the cock crew, Peter looked into that judgment hall from the courtyard area where he was warming his hands by the fire. He looked into that judgment hall and there looking back at him, were the piercing eyes of Jesus. The Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. This was a heart-piercing look. This look of Jesus what was it? What, what, what must it have been? It must have been a look of disappointment. Maybe a look of reproof. But I think it was a loving look at Peter when the very words were coming out of his mouth and he remembered what the Lord said, that Peter, you won't stand with me. You'll deny me. You will fail me tonight. And as he looked, Peter's heart was broken as he saw the loving look of pity and disappointment in Peter, but probably a look of, of assurance. I don't know. But that look, it broke that man. And Peter, it says, that he went out and he wept. Notice in verse 61 and verse 62, Peter went out and wept. Bitterly, a grown man, a strong man, a natural born leader, talented, brave, a sword wielding man, full of faith, he thought. He was really full of pride. And he had the wrong idea. And that man wept bitterly. It's not easy for a man to cry in front of others. Is it? But he he was heaving and sobbing. That was the Lord's look. But you remember in all of this, our theme is facing difficulty. You know, when we are faced with trials and difficulties, we must remember that the Lord predicted they would come. We we must remember that the only thing that can heal us of those things is the Lord's touch. And we have to remember that when we are facing these trials, that the Lord is looking on. He's looking on in pity and in love, never giving up on us. He said to, he said to Simon that your faith is not going to fail. You say, why is that? 
Well, let's look back at verse 32. As you're going through your trials, and you, you might have be going through a trial, and it's caused you to kind of back off from the Lord, and you're no longer following Him like you did, and you don't read your Bible every day like you did, and you don't, you don't pray every day like you did, and, and you might not even remember the last time that you actually did pray and really get through to God, and you can't remember the last time that God's Word actually did speak to your heart and, and warmed you on the inside and, and stirred up your affections and your love toward God. You've just kind of been following afar off and warming your hands by the fires of this world with the enemies of God because you're hurt inside and you won't admit that you're really mad at the way things turned out. But I'll tell you this, if you're a believer, your faith will not fail. You say, how do you know? Well, verse 32, the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, I've prayed for you Prayed for you, Peter. He'd been praying for him. The Lord saw it all coming. Nothing surprised him. He said, I prayed for you. I could see it was going to happen with your pride, and I knew that Satan was going to sift you. And I prayed that your faith would not fail. You see that? That thy faith fail not. Peter's faith did not fail. You say, how do you know that? Because the Lord prayed it wouldn't. He didn't lose his faith. You know what he lost? You know what Peter lost? His discipleship. He stopped being a disciple of Jesus Christ. He stopped being a disciple of Christ. Later on, the Lord would say to the disciples, He would say, go and tell the disciples and go and tell Peter. Let me see, I think I have it here. Go and tell the disciples and tell Peter to meet me in Galilee. Let me see if I, if I have it or not. If not, you'll just have to take my word for it and look it up later. Uh, yeah, I don't have it here. But the Lord says later, go and tell the disciples, okay, one group, the disciples, and Peter. Peter lost his discipleship. He said, go and tell them to meet me in Galilee. And there I'll meet with them and I'll tell them what to do. That's post-resurrection. So Peter lost his discipleship. You say, what's a disciple? A disciple is someone who forsakes everything to follow Jesus. Jesus is first place. You can lose that. You can stop following Jesus. You can, you can lose that, but you can't lose your faith. When it says, when that faith fell not and when thou art converted, it doesn't mean that when you actually get saved doesn't mean that. It means that when you come through this trial and on the other side, you're restored back to me, back to discipleship. Your heart is made right with me, back to faithful, useful service. When you're converted after going through this, this soul-crushing trial, then strengthen your brethren. Peter was giving, or Jesus was giving Peter hope before the thing ever went down. Your faith will not fail. Later on, when you come through this and you're changed, you're a changed man now, no longer filled with pride, but humbly trusting me and walking by faith. The Bible says, Micah chapter 6, verse 8, He hath shown thee, old man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. He was a changed man after this. And he said, when that happens, you strengthen 
your brethren. And Peter went on to just tell people what happened. Look, I denied the Lord. I failed him. I was full of pride and full of my own thoughts and ambitions and so on. I was frustrated in my ambitions. I got mad at the Lord, but the Lord failed me. The Lord prayed for me and my faith did not fail. And, and he used Peter, and he still uses Peter today to strengthen his brethren. You say, how? Well, First and Second Peter, and, and the gospel you know, of, of Mark, they say, was, was actually uh, Peter helping to put down that account. But through his ministry and through his writings that he left behind, he's still strengthening believers today. If you want to know how to face trials, read First and Second Peter. And you know what? You might be going through a trial. Something has come into your life and you are frustrated. And you've stopped following the Lord the way that you used to. Maybe you're just kind of in and out of church. I come sometimes, other times I don't. and I don't really get much from it. And, and all those other things that I said. And you just kind of cooled off on God. You know, what, you know what that is? Let's look finally at Romans chapter 8 verse 28. A familiar verse, but I want to point something out. But you know what that is when that happens? When something knocks you out of discipleship? You know what that is? It's leaving your first love. It's backsliding. Your first love of Jesus, just loving Jesus and loving people because you're saved. And uh, just in love with the Word of God and wanting to do something for him and telling other people about what Jesus did for you and everything. Your first love, Jesus. We cool off on God. And it is possible for us to leave our first love. Leave him. Not following him as a disciple. Leave him. It's possible. It happens. And, and here's the thing. It probably happens to every one of us at one point or another. But just remember, you have the Lord praying for you. Before we read Romans, I had this verse down. You have the Lord praying for you. You say, how do you know that? According to Hebrews 4.15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And the Bible says that Jesus is up in heaven making intercession for us. And he can sympathize. You say, I've been abandoned by somebody. Well, Jesus was abandoned. Well, I've been hurt. Jesus was hurt. I've been wrongfully accused. Jesus was wrongfully accused, and so on and so forth. Uh, someone very dear to me died. Well, Jesus had somebody very dear to him die, and he, he cried about it. Well, in Romans chapter 8, 28, this is where I think the problem comes in. And like, like medicine, you know, I, I talked about in the beginning that pain is a good indicator that something underneath the surface is not right. And pain can actually be something that we can be thankful for in that way because it, it leads us to get the help that we need so that something worse doesn't happen. Well, with this, this kind of a sermon, it's kind of painful to hear. It's like uh, medicine, it's not easy to swallow. But if it leads you to Jesus to get that healing touch, you see, then this sermon will have served its purpose. You know what to do when we have trials and difficulties? The only person who can heal and make it better is Jesus. He's the only one. Yes, it helps to talk to other people, but they can't fix anything. 
You got to be directed. Go to Jesus. Seek him until you get the answer and the blessing that you're looking for. Grab a hold of him and don't let go until you get the answer. Be like that woman with the issue of blood, just pressing through the crowd and just reaching out till she finally touched the hem of his garment, determined. And with that touch of faith. See, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, We know that all things work together. Now that all, boy, that's a lot of things there. All things work together for good to them that love God. Now, if you don't love the Lord, you can be saved and not love the Lord. You say, how do you know that? Well, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So the way you show Jesus that you love him is by obedience. But when Jesus was talking to Peter later on up there in Galilee, Jesus said, do you love me, Peter? And And Peter said, you know I love you, Lord. You know I love you. I failed you, but you know I love you. But I'm just telling you, it says to them that love God. If you get out of God's will and you do something stupid, you're going to reap what you sow. Be sure your sin will find you out. A lot of our troubles in our lives are the result of consequences from mistakes we've made, you know. But the Lord, will, he'll bring us out of those too. But all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You're called, that's salvation. The call of salvation. But notice what it says at the end. According to my purpose, my plan for my life. No, his purpose, his plan for our lives, his will. God has a purpose for your life. And sometimes my purpose and God's purpose don't always look the same. And that, it's when that happens. Peter had a purpose to help Jesus, to lead in a revolt, to set up a kingdom. And when Peter's purpose and the Lord's purpose contradicted Peter got bent out of shape and was upset with the Lord. You see, when those things happen, what we have to do is surrender to God. Say, God, I know you have a purpose in this. And what I want to do now is I want to get on board. (laughs) And if your purpose is for me to glorify you through some illness and trusting in you, then I will do that. If your purpose for me is to heal me of this illness, then I'll give you glory. If your purpose is to add to my life or to take away from my life, then I will glorify you and I will trust you in it. But Lord, just help me to be faithful to you. Help me to love you. Take away this hurt. Heal, touch and heal. And, and when, you, when I'm talking about facing difficulties, what I'm really talking about is just that look of Jesus. Facing it knowing that Jesus is looking on, knowing that he works all things together for good. You know, I just gave this verse to a person the other day who who stood there before me weeping and sobbing and saying, I don't understand why God let this happen. I was doing everything right. And I took them to this verse because that is the answer. And I showed it to them. And I I, I said, I'm sorry. And we care for you deeply. And we're praying for you. 
But you've got to trust this verse. That God works all things together according to his purpose. God's got a plan. And it's better than our plan. It's better than our plan. And what God is doing, we can't know everything that he's doing. Peter could not have fathomed what the Lord wanted to do in his life. But God will take us. God will break us. And then God will make us what he wants us to be. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I want you to remember, I want to end this on a positive note, that you have to go to Jesus. And you might have lost your discipleship, but that discipleship, that following Jesus, putting him first, giving your life as a living sacrifice, that can be lost and it can be regained. And if you're living and breathing, Jesus wants you as a committed follower of Christ. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed. The only place to find the help, the healing of body and mind and spirit and soul. The only place to find that healing is is you've got to go to Jesus. I I recommend that you just get alone with him. Just carve out half a day, a day to just be alone with the Lord and just to seek him, perhaps to fast and pray if you're able to and to just shut out the world. Remove all distractions and say, Lord, what you're doing in my life is too important for me to be sidetracked. I want to I want to be a close follower of Jesus. I want to fulfill your purpose for my life. I want to trust you for the things I don't understand. I want the joy of my salvation back. I want to claim what is mine. Lord, give me the joy of my salvation. Lord, help me. If, if your will is for me to suffer, help me to have a ministry of suffering and to encourage others through it and to guide them through it and to show them that the only answer is Jesus. You've got to go to the Lord. Father, I pray for these that are here. I pray for this message. I know it was your message this morning for our people, for our church. And I pray that you'd help heal our church, bless our church during a time of... of uh, trial and difficulty and I pray for each one of these here that's listening Lord you know my my intention is not to open up a wound or to tear off a band-aid my intention is to lead us to the healing balm of Gilead and uh, so that we might be healed of these things Lord and Father I know that your intention in our life is always 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 for our good and your glory that you're going to make all things work together for good. And we praise you for that. We thank you for that. We claim you. We claim the promises. And we thank you for what you're going to do before you even do it. We thank you for what you will do. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Well, God bless you. We'll be back together again tonight at 6 p.m. And we invite you to be with us if you can.